On this week's Politicast, we interviewed Nick Sani, a producer and moderator of the WNYU radio show called Political Corrections, which focuses on having conversations among different viewpoints on U.S. domestic politics, as well as NYU-specific issues. In our interview, we discuss Nick's role as moderator, as well as his thoughts on how the show has developed over its first semester. We also talked about the larger role that the media plays in shaping public discourse and perception of the most important issues in people of our day. I'm Michael Tingley, former president of the Politics Society. And I'm Junie Ha, newly elected president of Politics Society and current co-director of PCC. Thanks for joining. So, Nick, tell us about yourself and your involvement at NYU and maybe some non-NYU activities that you do. Sure. So I am in CAS right now. I'm doing a major in international relations, hopefully, and uh, a minor in the business of the entertainment industry. I guess why I'm here, the work that I do is through WNYU, the radio station's news department. I'm a news editor. I produce a handful of shows. And yeah, I'm all about just making accessible, informative content. That's just kind of what I'm passionate about. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit more about political corrections. Um, like what was your vision for what it could be and what has it become over the last semester? Yeah, so political corrections, I wasn't the person that came up with the idea for the show. Uh, that was our producer, Ben Zinovich. Uh, and he and Charlie Little, another member of WNYU, wanted to create a show which centered around the experience of a student journalist. However, as the show moved on, it eventually became a show where me or another moderator, uh, Ali, moderates a conversation between people from different ends of the political spectrum. The goal of the show is to make sure that there is no echo chamber effect in political media that's produced by our radio station and that is consumed by the NYU community in general. Uh, if you look at a lot of print media, NYU is very good at doing good print journalism, but facilitating conversation from both sides and making it seem natural but still civilized is something that we, we think is lacking. So political corrections is trying to bridge that gap between people from different ends of the political spectrum while still keeping civilized, productive conversation. And so as moderator, my role is to make sure to, in as fair a way as possible, and the distinction between fair and unbiased is important here, I think, but in the most fair way possible, facilitate a conversation between people with differing political views. One more thing to say about the structure of the show, each week what we do is we pick two to three topics, sometimes we center on only one, and everyone involved has a conversation about it. We try to keep it balanced between NYU-specific issues and domestic issues, and occasionally international politics comes Mm -hmm. into play. Yeah, we were wondering, uh, is there a specific guest or debate that you've had that was specifically memorable to you? Yeah, we were talking, me and Lewis were talking about, what were we talking about? It was about the Keystone XL pipeline, or no, the Dakota Access pipeline. We were talking about whether it being built was as problematic as a lot of people say it was. And the reason that that was an important and interesting uh, debate for me is because it really sort of solidified in my mind what my role would be as moderator. Essentially, up until that point, I was still debating with myself between whether a moderator should let other guests and let the conversation just happen naturally, even if there are harder questions to be asked, or whether I could still provide a fair, unbiased conversation while still asking very specific, hard questions that force people to consider the nuances of their ideologies. So I asked Lewis a lot of very, in my opinion, at least like tough questions to to get like a nuanced, detailed view of his political ideology out of him. And in some ways that could have been seen as me being an unbiased moderator. But in my view, that really sort of forced the conversation to take on a more nuanced approach. And I never specifically argued. I gave facts when I could, and I gave hard questions when I could, but I left it to the other participants of the conversation to actually engage in a debate. 
so that was really interesting to me just because there's a very clear distinction between being an unbiased moderator who still allows the nuances of a conversation to escape the conversation or an active moderator who makes sure that the conversation is as accurate and has as much fullness of information as possible. So in your time working with all these people from different um, political ideologies, um, the people you work with, do you believe that NYU is a politically diverse university? And if not, what do you think the university could do to improve that? Well, I think NYU is a more politically diverse university than its perception is. People see NYU as fully radical liberal. I don't think that's true. Most people are... And I think from this is just anecdotal, but most people I think are quietly closely aligned with like establishment left and not necessarily the radical left that's very active at NYU. Mm -hmm. Um, The most vocal group at NYU, of course, is the radical left. And that sort of has altered the perception of NYU a lot. Uh, That being said, I think that people who are moderate or on the right, while there are definitely more people with those ideologies than is perceived, uh, they're still probably a minority. In terms of what NYU could do to fix that or change that, like, I don't think it's the university's place to, like, NYU can't force more people to adopt different ideologies. If NYU happens to be a place uh, that attracts people with specific political ideologies, then that's the space that has naturally been created. So I don't think it's the goal of the university to do anything. I think groups can be as active and vocal or not as they want to be. And as someone who is not a member of most of those groups, I I don't know if it's my place necessarily to to say what should or shouldn't happen with that. So if those groups or those um, perhaps teachers who are on the left, majority of the professors here are on the left, if those groups um, happen to infringe upon free speech, things like that, where um, people can't express their political ideologies as safely as in other places maybe, You don't think that NYU should be doing something about this? So the free speech question is very interesting. I have personally changed my mind on this multiple times. You know, on one hand, I do believe that, like, free speech is important. But there is a really interesting question to be asked about the place of the university in promoting certain uh, beliefs or not. I think, like, in, in terms of beliefs that don't harm anyone, there should be freedom of conversation, information, etc. When you have people that perpetuate beliefs that claim to be scientific but are not but are sort of presented as such like the Charles Murray which is another thing that Lewis and I had a disagreement on that that becomes sort of more muddy because yes people should have free speech but also it is the university's duty to make sure that there is accurate information being portrayed as an educational institution you know I think the ideal world is one in which anyone can say what they want in the constraints of being factually accurate and proven as long as they're also open to hard questions being asked to them and engaging in that. I, I actually personally think that the Charles Murray incident at NYU uh, is kind of the perfect situation mm-hmm. because this man who has beliefs that are definitely scientifically not necessarily accurate, he has been called racist by many people, he was still able to speak, but also there was a very active group of people that disagreed with him and there was no violence in any protests but the protesters were able to say what they wanted to say. Charles Murray was able to still speak to the people that wanted to listen to him, but there was a forced conversation because of the protesters that were there. Uh, As someone who loves facilitating conversation, I think that was a perfect situation. Unlike Gavin McInnes, because Gavin McInnes has views that could potentially cause harm to people, uh, while Charles Murray also does, 
the harm that Gavin McInnes's views uh, could perpetuate was way larger scale. And there was protests where there was violence. People got hurt. Uh, there was a lot of sort of dirty back and forth happening. Mm-hmm. And so I think as long as everyone is able to say what they want to say and there's a conversation that is forced to happen, I think that's the best that we can hope for. I don't think people with just any sort of conservative views should be limited. I think people with views that, A, could harm people uh, and have been proven to harm people, or B, are just not true and presented as true in terms of Charles Murray's scientific findings. I think that's what we should sort of focus on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of went off there for a while. Okay. So I was wondering, how have your political beliefs, if you're comfortable sharing, uh, affected your NYU experience both in and out of the classroom? In the classroom, I feel like my political beliefs have not had a large impact in any way. Because in, in most classes, like I've, I've taken politics classes, but the way NYU teaches a lot of politics classes is very, very objective, very, very data and science based and I think that's really good Uh, I've seen people with like ask questions and have discussions in classes that are on varying ends of the political spectrum but for me because I'm all about having that conversation I've been happy to engage when I disagree um, and engage when I agree personally I don't know specifically where I would put myself but I'm definitely on the left I definitely am not on the radical left I think I'm somewhere in between somewhere just in like the middle left like, I wouldn't characterize myself as a moderate, but I would be okay with working within the system to change things rather than radical, violent movements. In terms of outside the classroom, I've definitely faced, because of that, I've definitely faced criticism from, from both sides. Conservatives don't like me because I side with liberal ideologies on a lot of things, but also a lot of the active radical left at NYU think that I'm weak on my views and that I don't actually I'm not actually going to cause change. So it's really interesting. Like, I'm not here saying that it's a very hard life being, like, uh, being on the left and at NYU because it's clearly not, and I don't think I'm very rare in having these beliefs. Uh, But it is very interesting because being in New York, if you are being, I guess, at NYU and working at WNYU, if you have beliefs that are more on closer to the middle than the radical left, even if you're still characterized as far left by most people in the country, uh, you're still seen as being too far on the right. So that's an interesting experience. I, I don't, I'm not here to say if that's a good or bad experience, and I think that most people on the radical left that are actually trying to create change have done their research, and they, they have done, they've done a lot of reading and research, and they know their beliefs very, very well. Uh, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I've engaged myself, and I've seen others engage me in conversations that question both of our views, and I think that's a good thing. As long as no one's getting hurt, I think everyone should be questioned on their views, and that questioning should lead to serious consideration. And if someone asks you a question that you're unable to answer, I think questioning what your views are is good. I think a problem is that people engage in arguments and that pushes them farther to extremes and become more polarized, uh, when these conversations should really lead to people constantly questioning, considering, and updating their political views. Great. Well, I was going to actually question some of your views on the role of the media, um, that includes social media or news, uh, in political and policy discussions. So in Political Corrections, your team deals with a variety of topics, drawing from diverse viewpoints to ensure an informative and sometimes heated debate. (laughs) So however, the journalism profession, as well as the media in general, has been getting increasingly unpopular. So for instance, Many of the right and the left accuse the media's love of ratings for the disproportionate coverage of the former candidate, now president. But, but getting down to the essential role of the press, do you believe that you have an obligation to discuss any and all topics? Or, or just fundamentally, what do you think the role of 
the media should be in people's lives. So whether whatever I think the role of the media is in people's lives, I think it's important to realize that it's not going to go away, right? Personally, I feel like working for a college radio station as a journalist is very, very different than working for a for-profit journalism institution, right? Because here, we're going to make the content regardless of ratings, right? We don't have ratings. We're, we stream our content on .org, on our .org grid, and on SoundCloud. And that frees us up, definitely, because we can, we can talk about what we want what we believe should be talked about. I don't know how, if we've even had the discussion of do people want to hear this? We are The discussion is more, is this something that is worthy of being discussed because of the implications that it has? So I haven't personally felt constricted by that. But I know that if I continue this into a career, that will be something that comes up. In terms of the role of mass media in people's lives, I definitely think that the media has failed in the last year. Past year especially, but just in general, because... How so? You know... Let's take this past weekend, for example, right? There was a huge story about Pepsi having a controversial commercial, and there was a huge story about United Airlines throwing someone off of a plane. And while these were both things that were probably worthy of discussion, uh, that meant that the mass media barely talked about the gay men that were putting concentration camps in Chechnya. I think that's a clear example of if more people knew about that, more people would be angry about that. More people would demand action on that. But instead, the mass media, and by this I mostly mean cable news, is spending their time talking about Kendall Jenner and a Pepsi commercial and United Airlines. That's an example of the media failing because what's going to get clicks is, or what's going to get views is a story about Pepsi, a story about ways United Airlines has messed up in the past year. And I think that represents a failure on the media's part. I go back and forth on this, but I do believe that the media's disproportionately high coverage of Donald Trump is one of the reasons that he was successful in the last election. I think if they had given other candidates on the Republican ticket as much screen time as him, if they had given other candidates, even like Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, as much screen time as him, we may have seen a different outcome. That's just my personal belief, but I'm not going to definitively say that without facts to back it up, right? In terms of just the role of the media, it's there. It, it should ideally provide unbiased information or engage in all sides of a conversation equally. That's really hard to do, but as long as... As long as the consumers of media, or the, sorry, as long as the customers for media institutions are advertisers and not the people consuming the media, we're going to still see this problem happening because we are not the customers for all the online and digital media that we see nowadays. The customers are the advertisers. Our, the product is our eyes looking at those advertisements. So as long as the media is trying to appeal to getting advertisers to have us see their ads and not get us information and as long as people are not willing to become the customer and like the, the pain group towards those news industries uh, we're not going to see a change and I I think that's unfortunate and I in an ideal world journalism would be this philanthropic institution where you know all the information should be clear and perfect and everyone should be informed but that's not the world we live in right now so in institutionalized media appealing to a certain demographic um, in reality there's partisan news how do you feel about that I think partisan news as a concept is not necessarily a problem, right? People are never going to be totally unbiased. On political corrections, no matter how hard I try, I will never be totally unbiased. And so I understand that. The problem is when you are partisan and therefore you only cover the things that you want to hear. You only say what you want to be heard instead of say what is actually happening. Fox News can exist as a conservative media institution. The reason Fox News is not good is because Fox News only covers what conservative 
readers and listeners want and viewers want to hear, right? So if media wants to be partisan, that's fine, but it has to be partisan in a more inclusive way, right? Because the more you say what people want to hear, the more they affirm those beliefs and the more polarized it gets. You know, if you look at liberal versus conservative now versus even 15 years ago, liberal versus conservative, it's been pushed way out to the extremes. And I think that's because of these, this echo chamber effect on both sides. And so I guess political corrections is trying to, in whatever small way we can, pull it back to the middle. See, because what I'm hearing right now is a sort of like agenda setting type of idea for the, for the media, that they should be giving the public things to think about, right? And, and right now they're giving them the Pepsi commercial and not giving them gay men going to concentration camps in Chechnya. But when you talked about partisan news, obviously these two different parties have two very different agendas as to what they want people to be thinking about. So how can you reconcile those two things? How can you have partisan news with two completely different agendas and yet still think that they will agree on what will be most important to tell their consumers? Well, so... I think there's two distinct types of media, right? There's the, the factual expository media and there's opinion media, right? Like opinion pieces, op-eds, whatever. I think those like Fox News and NBC should both be trying to give like expositional unbiased media and also they can have people who are conservative or liberal uh, pundits that write about whatever they want and share their views, not as Fox News, but as this individual person with these individual views. I think... The problem is when the line between op-eds and expository gets blurred. It's easily reconciled as long as it's clear to the public, this is the view of this specific person, whereas this is just facts of what happened. And as soon as that line becomes blurred, you get the partisan media that is that is not healthy for the average reader or viewer. So you're, fa- you're familiar with the Politics Society. This is a Politics Society podcast. Do you think that um, nonpartisan news is... A solution to that or maybe uh, like a remedy or do you think it's just another demographic that they would cater to? What do you mean by catering to another? Like do you think there's a demographic of people who, who like facts? <laughs> I would say I'm part of that demographic of people. I don't want to know what a writer from Fox or Breitbart or CNN or NBC thinks. I want to know the facts and form my own opinion. I think that most people don't know that that's what they want or that's what they're getting or what they're not getting um, because most people are not people who work in or work with uh, members of the media or like people just watch cable news because that's what they think is the way to get news, right? It's a, even though at, here at NYU, we, we see everyone talking about the alternative ways in which they get news. Most of America is people who watch cable news and just read the top headlines on Google News every day and that's it. And barely even that in most cases. So the public being informed on what the content they're consuming actually is, is I think a really big problem. And I think the more people that learn about this kind of thing, the more people there will be who want that, who are part of that nonpartisan media consuming demographic. And I, I think that once again, you could be someone who wants to just have the facts and also is curious about what does this journalist as a person think about it, right? Like, for example, a lot of people like Stephen Colbert, including me. I don't watch Stephen Colbert's political segments so that he can convince me on things. I watch them because I wonder what does this person think about it, right? And I think we need to separate people's individual opinions from what is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Are there any news outlets that you do follow that you find are more factual rather than partisan? <laughs> like, I know BBC World, they do, like, they do a very good breakdown of what happened, maybe some context, and then they do, like, a journalist who analyzes it after. Right. So, like, do you follow anything like that? I read as much as I can. Like, I'm, I'm hesitant to want to answer this because I don't want to give you an answer without having thoroughly looked into every single, like, news outlet that I read, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is why like, I do read a lot of The Guardian and a lot of BBC, but I know like, I'm very hesitant to say anything because who knows what what has happened with any of those institutions that has been very, very partisan or very like problematic in the sense of what media should and shouldn't do. So I don't have anything specific. I, I try to, what a lot of people try to do is just look for the facts in these like opinion clouded pieces. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I can get primary sources, I do. Like if I see an article that references this report that came out, I'm going to go look for that report rather than read the article to get information about the report. Uh, because a lot of secondary and tertiary journalism is what people consume and then not go looking in for the, for the primary sources. Like if I can find the text of the American Healthcare Act uh, and like objective analysis of that specifically references the American Healthcare Act, I will prefer reading that to NBC's article about what the American Healthcare Act means, right? And that, that's a dated example now, but you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering what you think has led to such hyperpartisanship and favorability of partisan news. Why do you think there aren't more people calling for this sort of nonpartisanship in, in the media? Because it's, it, for a consumer, cable news is entertainment, and entertainment, it's more fun when there's people uh, who, are, who are disagreeing with each other on a more massive scale. I, I feel the need to know, like, I don't consider myself an authority on why specifically these things happen. This is all just my personal views, or my personal hypotheses. But I think that unless the media is actively trying to facilitate a conversation that doesn't push people to extremes... People, just because of like psychology and the way people are, will be pushed to being more partisan. Because if you start a conversation with someone where you say, I don't really know, but I kind of think whatever political statement. And they say, I don't really know, I kind of think like a opposing political statement. And then you start talking. And by the end of that conversation, both of you know for sure that you're definitely right and the other person is definitely wrong. And at the point at which neither side is actively trying to analyze their own beliefs and change their own beliefs and is instead trying to defend their beliefs, then you're not going to get this this more nonpartisan, non-extreme conversation. And I, I, do, I don't think that means that every single view someone has should be subject to change. If you've done research, if you know, if, you, if you've done like reading of like critical literature on the subject, if you've actually spent time learning your beliefs and why you have those beliefs, then of course you should defend them, right? But it's very important to be self-critical. And to, to analyze, do I really know what I'm talking about in every single step of the way? And if you do really know what you're talking about, then defend those beliefs and inform and educate other people on those beliefs. But I don't know if the solution is just arguing without being open to change in your, in your own beliefs. I don't know if that really answered your question, but yeah. So last question. If commentators should have an obligation to present real news and present news that will not only get high ratings, but that the news outlet thinks that their viewers should know. Do you think that is kind of like a creation of a new elite of the media, where commentators control the flow of information as well as the analysis of it? Like, recently, two fairly partisan organizations or news outlets, the Washington Post and the New York Times on the Pulitzer for the Panama Papers, um, so what do you think about this new elite maybe coming out? 
Right, and who decides? Who decides what? the flow of the control of information? Well, the Panama Papers thing was not a, a political or partisan thing. I think that was repre- I think the reason they won the Pulitzer for that is because it was representative of like real investigative journalism that had a goal of yes, like releasing the Panama Papers is good for your ratings, but that wasn't political. That was just we want this information to be out there for everyone. So like that's very I think deserving of a Pulitzer Prize, right? No one should get a Pulitzer Prize for covering Donald Trump too much, but the Panama Papers are an, an, an example of free press succeeding. So I think that's good. Uh, in terms of the new elite, can you like sort of elaborate what you mean by that? So a new elite of media where they control the information, they're owned by like maybe four or five right, corporations, okay. um, and it's controlling the flow of information to like a mass people in right. the United States and also like outside of the United States. Right, they're cherry-picking right. what what facts they believe are most important to tell these people instead of... Of, of course, that's not... That's not a good thing, right? Like, I think as soon as someone can control the flow of information, they can also control the beliefs that people have around that information, mm-hmm. right? Because if you only hear facts from one side that support one side, then you're not going to know the whole the whole truth. I mean, if I knew how to solve that, I would I would be... I, no one knows how to solve that. As I think, though, I truly believe in, like, a free market. It is the people that have the power to... So if, if we make it very clear, like, we know that you're controlling the information and we're not going to give you clicks and money because of that, then that could force change. But again, it's there's no easy solution to this. I do think that it's happening. I do think that the, the flow of information is severely restricted by a few very powerful people. And even though it's not ideal, institutions like WikiLeaks and things like that, where they leak information to journalists in order for those journalists to publish things, or they leak information just publicly. I think even though WikiLeaks is, you know, it, a lot of illegal things happen, and I don't know if it's ideal, if that's the only way that information can get out to the public and that forces a change uh, in the way information is controlled, then that's what we can hope for right now. If, you, if anyone has any ideas for how to get all the information to everyone, then like they would, they'll become very successful because everyone will want to know how to do that. No, I do think but, it is a lot of individual responsibility. Yeah, like, most people don't care. Most people don't want all the information. They just, they're like, oh, cool, I, I, this is the information that I have. I think the majority of people want knowing that they're not getting all the information and wanting to hear all the information for there to be change that happens. Right. Well, not everyone wants to hear all of the information. There's there's a theory on media that it just is whatever gratifies the consumer. So this consumer is going to look for their own opinions. Yep. They're going to look for what makes them feel smart or what that they already know things. If that's how people view media or how they they choose to consume it, then that does pose a really difficult problem for trying to switch in people's minds that they want to find unbiased facts and they want to have their opinion change. Very few people want to have their opinion change, it seems like. Oh, yeah. It's, it's human psychology. You have a better time when you're hearing, oh, look at how right you are, than you're hearing you're so wrong about all these things, right? That, that's why I, I, I was kind of like a very ominous, like people, it's, it's not going to be solved unless people want change. And pe- people don't because people like being comfortable knowing that they're right. It's very hard to be looking for ways that you're wrong. And that's where I think the responsibility of the media comes in that is very lacking. The media as the institution with more power in this situation compared to the media and the consumer should know that people want to hear what they already believe and should have the sort of responsibility and you know moral integrity to still make sure that like 
all of the information is out there. And it, this reminds me of like a prisoner's dilemma situation in game theory because right the practicality of that. Yeah, like if if there's if a lot of media institutions try to do that, as long as there's one on each side that just tells viewers what what they want to hear, uh, all the viewers will flock to that. So it it takes everyone cooperating to do that for that solution to come. And as long as media is controlled by individuals seeking to make money, it's not going to happen. And so it's it's a question with no easy answer, I guess. Well, thank you for joining us for this podcast. It was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was really interesting. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Politicast. We'll see you next week.